Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. Let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Saturday Morning Rewind with your host, Tim Nidell. Make sure you're following us online. We're on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Saturday Rewind, all one word. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook fan page there. Just type in the words Saturday Morning Rewind and you'll find us. And of course, you know that we are the show that takes you back to your childhood one interview at a time. Back to the good old days of feeling like a kid again. And this episode's going to be just like that because we are taking you back to the year 1992 with our interview with the super talented Catherine Disher. And of course, you know her as the voice of Jean Grey on X-Men the Animated Series. Juggernaut, mine is the only voice you hear. Jean, please tell me you're all right. As well as can be expected. I gave him a hypnotic suggestion. He won't remember who he is or what he was doing. The only problem is that we don't know when it will wear off. And in the video game world, she was a voice of Jill Valentine on Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, one of my favorite late 90s video games. It all began as an ordinary day in September. An ordinary day in Raccoon City. A city controlled by Umbrella. Brad, hang in there. Why isn't someone doing something about this? And not only was that one of my favorite video games when I was a teenager, but X-Men the Animated Series, I'm going to say it, it was a perfect cartoon for the 90s. And it also had a perfect intro. I mean, can you think of a better cartoon intro in the 90s than X-Men? Maybe Batman the Animated Series. That's a close one, but just listen to this intro. It is perfect. And of course, I can't just mention the cartoon. It also created an amazing toy line that I loved as well. Target identified! Mutants apprehended! Wanna mix it up, big boy? My adamantine claws will get rolled back! I've always had trouble with man. My optic blast will give him trouble. And we're going to talk about all those things and much, much more during my amazing time with Catherine. We're going to be talking about X-Men, Resident Evil, a handful of her other voiceover work. Talk about her live-action TV series from the early 90s called Forever Night, which I also love to watch. And she just has some amazing stories to tell. So stay tuned for that interview. I promise you, you're going to love it. But I want to give a quick shout-out to our Patreon supporters for this month. Thank you so much to our producers, Chris, Tori Garvin, and Gemma Bright. You guys are awesome as usual. And if you guys are listening right now and want to help us out, go to our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Click on the donation tab and you'll see our Patreon section there. It all starts at only two bucks a month. There's also a $5 tier as well as a $15 tier. But of course, if you want to donate more than that, there's an option for that as well. And it doesn't have to be monthly. You can also set it up as a one-time thing. But of course, I know we live in a crazy, crazy time right now. And if money is tight, I completely 
understand that. But there are other ways to help us out. You can tell your friends and family about us, maybe on Facebook, make a nice little post about the podcast, or share some of our posts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Maybe if you're part of a chat room, which maybe I just age myself because do chat rooms even exist anymore? I really don't know. But, you know, just tell people about the podcast. If you enjoy it, I guarantee some of your friends will enjoy it as well. And, of course, positive iTunes reviews are always welcomed. Those really help out, too. Oh, are we on? Yeah, of course we are, Carl. All righty, big brother. What now? No. Oh, I remember... Hello, this is Cal. And I'm Chicken. We're going to take a quick break from the show to bring you this interview from Saturday Morning Rewind. All right, Catherine, again, thank you for coming on. Big fan of your work, so I'm excited to kind of dive into a little bit about your voiceover work. Well, thank you for having me, and ask away. If I Now, I have to preface this by saying... My memory, and I don't know whether it was the pandemic or it was just it's all so long ago, but, um, you know, I have to apologize in advance if I don't remember a lot of stuff. Well, it, it's happened before with previous guests, and, you know, we kind of just talk about basic stuff then, you know, just get to know you a little bit more if you don't remember, you know, fully what you did on the, on the voiceover stuff. My name. I remember my name. Okay, sure. Go ahead. We'll see what I remember. That's always good. <laughs> so... Our show is all about going back, looking on the past. You know, I started it because I had a great childhood. And so I started just reflecting on my childhood. What was your childhood like? Uh, Well, I mean, I think I was really part of the first TV generation. I was uh, born in 1960. And, uh, you know, my brother and sister are both much older than I am. So I was kind of, you know, by myself a lot. And we, we also had a, a, a farm outside of uh, Montreal where I grew up, and we went mm-hmm. there every weekend and every holiday. So I spent a lot of time alone. So the TV was actually, <laughs> you know, a very good friend in those days. And I remember Saturday morning cartoons and the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour yes. and, you know, um, Hercules. Remember, you know, Herc, uh, Herc. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, Robin Hood and, oh, my gosh, um, just, yeah, they, Saturday morning meant a lot to me. Okay, so it sounds very similar to why I grew up. And, you know, I was born in 1980, so there's an age difference there. But, you know, we still had the uh, Saturday mornings. Nowadays, kids don't have that, which is a shame. But, you know, back in the 80s, we did. I know. It was kind of a special, you looked forward to it. Whereas now you can just go online and get them whenever, yeah. which is, it sort of spoils the specialness of it all. I know. When you can watch like 10 hours of, of uh, SpongeBob on, on Nickelodeon, there, you know, there's nothing special about that whatsoever. I know. I know. Nothing to look forward to. <laughs> no, that's why everyone, nobody has any sort of sense of being able to wait for stuff anymore. It's all instant gratification. Seriously. Yep. I was in line at uh, <laughs> McDonald's just like a couple nights ago. Some dude just storming around. I guess he was waiting for his chicken nuggets, just like cursing up a storm. And it's like, dude, just just settle down. Settle down. I know. The pandemic has done weird things to people, though. It's uh, the amount of stress that everyone's been under, it, and it just comes out everyone's just on a knife edge, you know, yeah. waiting to explode. Yep, exactly. Now, I think I read that you were actually born in England, right? Uh, yeah, I was born in, in England, and my father was over there uh, doing postgraduate medical studies. And then 
uh, so we are we are Canadian, and uh, they were just living over there when I was born, and then we we went back to Montreal where he practiced for the rest of his life. Oh wow! What age um, were you when you moved to Canada? Um, I think I was sort of one or two, okay. very young. So no sort of like culture shock or anything because you wouldn't remember. No, I, I yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, although you know, I've always been really good at British accents, and apparently. <laughs> You know, I had um, I had a nanny who was Irish, British Irish, that came back to Canada with us. So um, for quite a while. So maybe that was uh, that's where I get it from. Yeah, that makes but, sense. And, yeah, and I remember my mother saying, "Oh, you know, Anne loved you so much that she went home to Ireland and had eleven children because she loved <laughs> you so much." It wasn't until I was a lot older that I went, "Yeah, I don't think that's the reason she had eleven children." <laughs> Oh, man. And uh, you said you were very involved in Saturday mornings. You, did you have like a, a ritual on Saturday mornings getting up? You know, did you have a, like a favorite cereal that you would pour yourself? Oh, you know, I don't remember. I mean, I do remember the TV and the TV was at the farm. We only got when we were at the farm, we only got like two channels, one of which was the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting mm -hmm. Channel Corporation. And um but I do remember, and it was a little red, black, and white TV, but I do remember that at midnight on Saturdays or 11 o'clock on Saturday, they would play Monty Python's Flying Circus. And I remember the animation oh, yeah. in that. There's you know, there's a lot of sort of other animated things that spring to mind. Like Mary Poppins, I must have gone to see five times uh -huh. when it came out in the theaters. And uh, I remember that sort of animation sequence is what sticks in my brain about that movie. Um, but no, I don't think I... I don't remember eating cereal. <laughs> I, I just asked that because that was my my ritual, you know. My my parents both worked on Saturdays, and my brother and I were kind of home alone, so I would just get up and pour myself a cereal, sit on the floor, and you know, watch cartoons. Well, I was definitely alone. I remember that. I mean, my brother and sister were, you know, <laughs> uh, like six, five, six, uh, I guess six and seven years older, or six and eight years older. So. Okay. They were, you know, they were off doing whatever. And uh, but I do remember my TV watching was definitely solo and no parent ever came in. You know, like nowadays, you'd sit down with your kids and yep. watch stuff like yep. hopefully people are sitting down and watching X-Men with their yep. kids. But back then, nobody watched with me. It was just me. So, um, yeah, like I, and some of those cartoons, you know, the fact that I, I remember, I mean, I must have been a bit older when that came out. But, uh, uh, oh, you know, um, oh, God. Uh, what is that? Um, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo mm -hmm. must have gone on for 20 years. Because, and, then it, <laughs> and then it got rebooted. And and because I remember that when I was fairly, that was a little older. On the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour, that was on Sundays. Oh, wow. Um, I remember that. And, uh, you know, you just couldn't wait to get through the, the Roadrunner cartoons till they got to the Bugs Bunny ones. And they always seemed to play the Roadrunner ones first because they knew that nobody liked them. You know, so that, that's just... kind of, that's sad but true. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I like them, of course, but they just weren't the same, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I, I you know, it wasn't that I thought I was going to be an actor or anything or that I was interested in cartoons in that respect. I just, um, it was just, they were, you know, it's what you did when you were alone and you were yep. like six or seven at that age. Exactly. Tell me about your voice work. How did you get involved in voiceover? Well, it was pretty standard, actually. My my agency had a voice agent, has a voice agent, because you really you do need an agent. You don't just you know get auditions for uh, for voice on your own. And so I remember, um, I remember that I, I it, it's not like I went and got the first. I didn't book the first audition that I that I went to. 
it took a while, but I remember my first animation job was I got the part, it was in Beetlejuice, and I got the part of one head of a two-headed monster, <laughs> and the other head was played by none other than Ron Rubin, who was also an X-Men. He oh, played Morph. wow. So I walked, I remember walking into the studio and I was terrified. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I have a theater background. I went to theater school in Montreal. And um, so, you know, I'm used to kind of getting up and trying stuff and making a fool of myself. But I, uh, <laughs> so I went, I went into the recording booth and there were two mics set up and Ron was standing at one of them and I stood <laughs> at the other. And, and Ron has this really kind of, you know, manic, kinetic energy, especially when he's on. He was like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Uh, and they did like five impressions in a row and made the sound of a door opening. <laughs> and then they switched over to my mic and said, so, Catherine. And I put up my hand. I remember looking through the glass in the booth and saying, I think I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> and it took me, I have to say, it took me years to feel comfortable doing it. I always felt like they were going to go, oh, you know, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. It was another Catherine that we meant to book. It took me a long time to feel comfortable. And what I what I realized is there's a whole bunch of different ways to go at voice acting. There are the, the stand-up comics and the comedians, and they can do impressions. And then the straight voice guys and women who just do voice work. And then there are, you know, actors like me who kind of split their time between on-camera and voice. And I really come at it like an actor. I mean, I... I I'm good at accents, cheesy accents, and and I um I can make my voice do stuff, uh, and I'm funny. I you know you mm -hmm. never know it from Jean Grey, but yeah, I'm actually I think that's <laughs> why I get jobs, for the most part. But it took me a while to realize what I brought, like why I was able to. I I, I had a right to be in the room essentially, because sometimes when you're confronted with someone who can do like, you know, do you want Jack Nicholson? Do you want Ronald Reagan? Do you want this? Blah 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 blah. blah. And I just, I, I froze and thought, oh, my God. Um, in fact, I remember having a, a, a sort of an argument. It, it was a, an older actor named, uh, and he was playing, we were doing a cartoon called Roly Polioli, and he was playing, and we were waiting to go in. And what they used to do is they would have a sheet on the table for the male actors and a sheet for the female actors with sort of some examples of maybe famous voices that okay. you could use to for the smaller parts, you know, the uh, incidental parts. And the mail list was always like a full page. It was, you know, presidents and famous people. And the female one was always, you know, like the queen, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth or Phyllis Diller or so, you know. And I remember looking at Len and just sort of conversationally saying, almost rhetorically, I wonder why, um, <laughs> I wonder why they don't have a longer list of you know, female impressions for the, the female mm -hmm. actors yeah. to work with. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's because uh, women can't do impressions. Really? And I went, uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> think that's it. I'm pretty sure it might be because, you know, when you're doing impressions, you're, you're satirizing. You're satirizing people in power. And for the most part, you know, back then, 25, 30 years ago, when you think about world leaders or you think about they were mostly male, you know, or talk show hosts. They were mostly male. So can you do Johnny Carson? Right. Can you do Ronald Reagan? Can you do Bill Clinton? But it, it was harder to think of iconic female voices that everyone would recognize because they have to be recognizable. Otherwise, an impression is useless. Yeah. But his take was mostly along the lines of, well, you know, basically women aren't that funny. 
Yeah, so that was so. <laughs> I remember going, and now I have to go in and work with you in a tiny, <laughs> tiny room. It was it was a it was a very memorable day for me that day in the waiting room. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> Let's talk about X Men. So if, if you've heard some of my other interviews, you know that I love X Men. This is one of the shows that I looked forward to every Saturday morning. I actually had a VCR set every Saturday morning, and I would record every episode in order, and I would take out the uh, commercials. You know, I'd pause it during the commercial break and start recording again when it came back on. Wow. Yeah, I was obsessed. <laughs> I mean, I, I was older. You know, I was 12 when it came out. Yeah, but still, that shows sort of a technical <laughs> aptitude that oh, I yeah. still don't possess, so good for you. <laughs> so I, I love that show. So tell me about X-Men. I hear that you actually initially auditioned to be Storm. I did, yeah. And when, when Eric was interviewing me for the book, I, it was the sort of first time I cast my mind back. And I do remember, you know, the sides, the uh, the audition dialogue for Storm. And it was all sort of, you know, arms to the skies, conjuring up the weather. So I remember that. And I guess I must have, they must have listened to it and said, no, she's better for Jean Grey. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember the copy for Jean Grey. I don't remember actually huh. auditioning. I must have. I doubt they just handed it to me. Yeah. And it was it was sort of an arduous process at the time. So I'm sure that that wasn't the end of it. But I do remember auditioning for Storm. And uh, Storm was, well, it took a while to cast Storm. Storm was a sort of um, uh, one of the crises they dealt with and that he talks about in his book. Because I remember the, the first season it was an actress named, because we were all in those group records that first season. It was just, they oh, okay. were marathons. And it was Nikki Guadagni, who was um, a theater actress, basically here. She did film TV too, but she's very good. She's white. And she, so she recorded that first season. And I guess just before it was coming out, they all had a panic attack and went, oh my God, you know, the, the only black X-Men that we have. Okay. And we have a white actress voicing her. So we have to do something about that. Oh, shoot. Turn off my phone. Oh, Sorry, it's making little noises. And um, uh, But nobody told Nikki. So unfortunately, when it premiered on Saturday morning, Nikki got her kids together and they were all so excited and they sat down in front of the TV and, you know, she turned it on and her kids were like, wow, you're great. And in her mind, she was thinking, that's not me. Wow. So that's when she discovered that they'd actually recast the part. And then I gather they had a... And um, I think she was an American actress who who revoiced that first season, and and that's what was released. Um, but then I don't know how long after that they actually uh, got Allison to do it. Yeah. And and in fact they they actually had a different uh, Professor X at first too. They had a, an actor named oh. who was first cast as Professor X, and he recorded the first few. Um, I don't even remember how many he did with us. And then they, for whatever reason, you know, there's always a thousand people. It's never, you know, the actor's fault. It's always out of our control. But it's somebody somewhere wanted something different, and they ended up getting Cedric Smith to do it. Yeah, I didn't know there was another Professor X. Is it the same instance where we didn't hear him? Yeah, you would never okay. have heard him. Okay. He only, I think he was, he wasn't even in the full season. Uh, so he was in, he recorded the first three or four episodes. I mean, I think we re re-recorded that first episode, the pilot episode, a number of times, which often happens with cartoons. You're mm -hmm. just waiting to get fired. Every time you hear that they're <laughs> redoing it, you're thinking, oh, that's it. I'm being replaced. Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, you would never have heard him. Okay. Uh, tell me about your time as Jean. Did you change your voice at all to try to sound more like Jean Grey? 
you know, I, I've done a lot of cartoons, and I, I had done a lo- quite a few cartoons by then. So I kind of started in Toronto in 1985, and I, I don't know when Beetlejuice was, but I'm thinking it was the late 80s. So I think it's I had 89 been doing... for Beetlejuice. 89? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I'd been doing cartoons for five or six years by that point, and I'd been in quite a few. I'd have to look at my IMDb page to see how many came before <laughs> X-Men and how many after. But, um, you know, most of them were, you know, you're doing, like I said, cheesy accents, funny voices. And it was very apparent to me the moment that I read those scripts that this was different. This read like a radio play. Yeah. And it was all these big issues that they were tackling for a kid's cartoon. I mean, they weren't talking down to the kids at all. It was, you know, morality and ethics and you know, right and wrong and and racism and otherization and, you know, bullying. And it was huge, huge issues. And I, I recognized right away that it was not, you know, a funny voice cartoon, mm-hmm. that it was uh, it was genuine and especially Jean Grey. I mean, Jean Grey was sort of the emotional um, heart of the X-Men family. And she was uh, her thing was feelings, you know. She was she was a telepath, and that for her that was empathy. Basically, it yeah. was it was empathetically connecting to people. And so for me, it really was um, it really was about. Oh, sorry, hold on. I think my dog is scratching at my door. Okay. Oh no no something else something else is scratching at my door. <laughs> well, we'll just leave that. I don't know what that is. Um, and so it was. It, that's what it was. It was, it was, it was, I hate to say it like this, but it was kind of real acting, you know, it was sort of, it was about actually trying to feel the feelings of the moment and um, uh, being genuinely present, I guess. And that's why when people say, oh, you know, so occasionally people will say, but various, oh, do that voice or do this voice or do Jean Grey. And I always feel, especially for Jean Grey, like it's one thing if you're, you know, having done something like naughty and you can kind of big ears, you know, you know, doing stuff like that. But for some reason doing Jean Grey always feels very reductive. It feels like you're making fun of her hmm. when you do cuz you know a lot of the time it was Cyclops yelling get down Jean mm-hmm. and then Jean kind of going Scott and trying to connect with Hank and the professor, you know, telepathically sort of Hank professor, you know, so it was or or fainting or you know being overcome and ah oh, and which my son pointed out to me a few years ago. He actually sent me a link for some compilation that somebody had done with Gene just making those noises. Yes, I and remember. How sexual it sounded. I remember. And I had no idea. <laughs> I remember hearing that too. <laughs> I know. I was shocked. I had no idea that people were taking it that way. So that's what I mean. So when people say do a little Gene Grey, I feel like it's kind of doing her a disservice to actually do that. It just because it makes her sound funny and and it makes her sound. I mean, it was pretty melodramatic in many ways the whole cartoon, but it sort of it's very reductive. So I, I, I and the reason I like doing her was the reason you know. So I've, I've already said stated about the, sort of my connection to the whole cartoon and why I like the whole enterprise um, because of what it was trying to do. Did you ever read the comics to kind of connect with her a little more? I did after we started it, and then of course my son. Um, he was born in 93, and uh, so I was. that was while we were doing it. And, and I have to say, one of the reasons I think I don't remember a lot about that time is because the whole time we were doing X-Men, I was shooting a television show called Forever Night, which is about vampires. Which I and, love, by the way. Oh, did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that show. <laughs> well, we shot nights. So we shot Sunday through Thursday. At night, sort of started at noon on Monday, but by Thursday, our call time was like 5 p.m. And I would shoot sometimes until 
you know, seven or eight on Friday morning. And the group records for X-Men were always at about 10 o'clock Friday morning. And sometimes it wasn't even worth going home and trying to sleep. Wow. I would just go and, you know, do a whole day of X-Men, which is why I generally don't like group records. I like to get in and out as quickly <laughs> as possible. But anyway, and so that's why I was so tired. And then I had my son in 93, still doing the night shoots, still doing X-Men. And I, I literally didn't get more than two hours sleep at a time for about two years there. So you have to forgive me if I have a spotty memory because I was just exhausted the entire time. <laughs> oh, for sure. Time. For sure. Now, I don't think I've really ever interviewed anybody who was pregnant at the time of voiceover. Does being pregnant affect voiceover work? In some voices, it would. I mean, it takes a, it, it's deceiving. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to do um, voice work. And the, I mean, just the physical, it's physical energy. It's because all of your energy, it's built up behind your face, you know, mm -hmm. behind your, and it stops at the mic. And when you're in a group record, you're up, you're down, you're sitting in a stool, but you're standing in your feet for like six hours at a time. And it's funny, I have, uh, I have rosacea, you know, the flushing of your face and stuff. And sometimes it can be quite, you know, painful or itchy. And I remember going to a dermatologist and I, I'm pretty sure I told him what I did for a living. And then he said, well, you know, have you noticed any triggers for your rosacea? I was like, well, yeah, spicy food or alcohol. And then I, I thought a bit and I said, and you know, cartoons. And he looked at me and he said, cartoons. And I said, yeah, I find, you know, um, cartoons, they make my face, you know, I'm, I'm really red. And, and he thought for a while and he looked at me and he said, well, maybe you could consider then just sitting there and enjoying them and not talking along. And I looked at him and I thought, I did tell you what I did, didn't I? I was like, well, I, it wasn't even worth explaining. I just thought, uh, I'll find another dermatologist. Uh -huh. oh, man. He, the man here, he thought I was a middle-aged woman sitting in my couch at home, shouting along with cartoons <laughs> on the TV. And that was not the case. So um, it takes a lot of energy. And so you do get a lot of energy from your, your diaphragm and from your, you know, your kind of core. Um, but yeah, I don't remember that being a problem. What I do remember is that everybody, we had like eight mics set up in that room. It was like the core group of us of Lenore, you know, Wolverine and Cyclops and Rogue and Jubilee and me and Gambit and sometimes Professor X and, and, and Beast and George and, and everyone was smoking. We were allowed to smoke <laughs> in the studio while we were recording. Oh, man. And so I remember when I got pregnant, I actually had to ask people not to smoke while we were recording. That's crazy. It's not that long ago. I mean, you hear stories about people smoke on airplanes back in the 60s and 70s, but we're talking about 90s here. Oh, I know. And in a tiny, I mean, I, that was horrible on airplanes. I agree. It was ridiculous. But in this tiny space, and in fact, I was pregnant when Marvel made us those jackets. I noticed Cal wears his all the time. I'm amazed pictures, he can yeah. still fit into his because <laughs> I certainly can't fit into mine. But they made me... Um, because I was pregnant, they actually made me a little one-and-a-half-year-old version of the X-Men jacket as well. And it says Baby X on it. Because I didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl, and I had no names yet. And so I've got the Jean Grey jacket, and then the little Baby X one. Oh, the Jean Grey jacket awesome. has yellow arms, and the little Baby X one has oh. blue arms. My son keeps wanting me to put it on eBay, but I haven't been able to do that no, yet. No, you can't. Sell. I mean, at least at least send me a picture before you do that. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been talking a little bit about the uh, recording sessions. Is there any more stories to tell about those recording sessions? You know, we laughed a lot. 
it was it was actually very funny. It's I don't think people most people know, but when you're when you're doing a group record, like I, when we start a cartoon, I actually like to do maybe one or two group records because then you get a sense of the world that you're in and what other what other people are doing and how yeah. your voice fits into that. Mm-hmm. So that's always helpful. But then after that, I really just like going in by myself and I can do like three in a row, um, you know, and I can go quickly. And otherwise you're waiting. Even if you do a run like a radio play, you read the whole scene and they have notes for other actors and maybe not you. And you do the whole scene again. And But when you go in singly, you can just, you know, and also when you're in a group, it's not like you can respond spontaneously to the line just before yours. Because, you know, like Cyclops would say, get down, Gene. And then you have to wait like one mosquito, two mosquito for the engineer (laughs) to switch the mics. So you can't actually you have to kind of hold your response back. So it's not as spontaneous and helpful as it might seem to do a group Hmm. record. Um, But we laughed a lot. I remember um, uh, Norm made me laugh. Norm was very, very funny. And uh, I remember doing, you know. He was also very competitive. So anytime there was like a small part, I remember all of us trying to get audition to do the pterodactyl voice. I forget which episode that was. But and they, I remember being on some Arctic island in the Eskimo Walla, and I, I mean laughing till I wept. And we would be in there for it was like an eight-hour day. They'd send us away to go have dinner, and which was always a mistake because inevitably some people drank at dinner and oh, then yeah. came back. And you know, it was a bit of a, it was a bit insane. And uh, you know, Norm, I didn't know Norm. Um, outside of school that much i knew him professionally and uh i had he lived in my neighborhood actually so i would run into him occasionally over the years and um and also i started the voice committee at uh our union and so i kept trying to get him to come to that he never did but there was (laughs) when i was doing forever night while we were doing x-men uh norm got a part in forever night and so uh, the scene that i had to do with my show up and i'm the coroner i was the coroner in the show so you know, when there was a crime scene or a dead body, I was there. And so Norm's character, and this seems kind of morbid, you know, talking about this now, considering more and Norm's past. But uh, so Norm's character had died. So I, the scene I got to do with Norm, his character was already dead. And he was lying in a body bag that was open on a stretcher. And the scene started with a close-up of Norm's face. And then a hand would come in and zip close the body bag over Norm's face. And then the camera pulled back. And two paramedics were wheeling him away in the body bag on a stretcher and revealing two of us, I think it was Garrett Wynn-Davies and I, um, having doing a scene. So Norm behaved while the camera was on him. But as soon as they zipped him into that body bag, he started this continuous kind of muffled monologue from inside the body bag. <laughs> and Norm's humor, you have to understand, he was a very good-looking guy and, uh-huh. you know, square jaw. And, but he had his, his humor was based on his sort of deep insecurities about you know the business and women and so he they zip him into this body bag and you hear him like oh yeah great great first job i've on camera job i booked in like a year and a half and i'm in a body bag (laughs) fantastic no 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 i'm fine just leave me in here it's bigger than my apartment yeah i and this was all very muffled and only we could hear it like the actress playing the paramedics and gara and i and because of the nature of tv we had to do that you know that about 10 times and every time I was laughing so hard, I was weeping. They had to keep coming up and redoing my makeup. And Norm knew it. And he just kept doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, under the, uh, anyway, he was very, very funny. He was charming. He was witty. Um, he was just a charming guy. What's great is that Cyclops is such a 
you know, straight character. So to hear that he was a cut up is is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and he's and you know even in emails and stuff, he uh, the actual the last time I sort of um, had a conversation with him was via email. He'd accidentally sent me an email meant for somebody else, and I kind of emailed him and said, "Whoops, I guess I'm you know right next to them in the in your contact uh. list." And we sort of had a talk and about the business at the time and. And even, you know, he he was very funny, even he was sort of embarrassed that he'd, you know, mis, misdirected the email, but he was, he's very funny, even in, you know, in, in print, in an email, he's funny. Mm. An unbelievably um, talented guy, like he had a, he had a, the voice that he was born with. And I think maybe that's where some of his insecurities might have come from, because, you know, when someone's just born with that voice, people go, oh, well, the reason you've got a career is because yeah. you have that voice naturally. And in fact, it wasn't just that it was what he did with it the fact that he had great timing and he was funny and he could make fun of himself you know and that voice for sure so uh yeah he was uh he should have done more on camera i think he sort of regretted that he didn't he was just so comfortable doing voice work he kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to the on-camera stuff let's talk just a little bit more about x-men before we move on from that um the phoenix saga I bet you that was right. probably really a, a good time for you, right? Because it focused more on Gene, showed a little bit more of your acting chops, I guess. Yeah, and uh, there were times. Uh, someday I'll ask somebody about this who knows. Um, I do remember recording Phoenix lines, and then I remember Jennifer Dale, who played Mystique. They had her at one point recording some Dark Phoenix lines. Oh. And then I remember, I clearly remember one day when they brought me in and then realized that they had intended to ask Jennifer because they got the, they should have had Jennifer in there because it was Dark Phoenix. So then I ended up doing an impression. They wanted me to record anyway. (laughs) So I did my impression of Jennifer doing her impression of me as Dark Phoenix. So it was very weird. So I I did, you know, I also voiced Phoenix as well as Jean, but it was kind of... um, I don't know how much of each that they used. Yeah, I, I, I never the... I never noticed. And that was my favorite line. One of the lines in there, it was at the very end when she was sort of, you know, soaring up into the into space. And she says something like, um, oh, the light, it's so beautiful. Oh, Scott, I wish you could see it. And that was such a beautiful line. Mm-hmm. That whole scene was sort of beautiful. I rewatched a lot of episodes on Disney Plus this past week to get ready for this interview. And so it's always nice to have an excuse to go back and watch the show. <laughs> it's true. For a grown man to watch cartoons. I know. I know. <laughs> Not that we need an excuse, but I get it. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about Jill Valentine on uh, Resident Evil oh. 3 Nemesis. How did you get that part? No, maybe you can answer a question for me. Okay. So Allison Court also did a Resident Evil. Which one did she, she did. do? She did, what was it, the second? No, was it? Oh, it was the one after yours. Oh, okay, because because the way I got it was I was sent a voice match. So I was sent a voice match. They liked the actress, and my what I remember is that they recorded it in Japan, the previous uh, iteration of uh, Resident Evil, and they were using an actress, a North American actress who was live, I guess, American who was living in Japan at the time. And um, they liked her voice, but they didn't like her performance. So they yeah. wanted her to sound like the same person, but with a different. So I actually I listened to it and thought, oh, that's incredibly close to my voice. So I, I did it. I did the voice match, and I got the part. And, you know, I used to stray a little bit at the beginning. It took about three and a half weeks to, to record that thing, as I recall. It was oh, wow. really, 
like every day in the studio and um and occasionally I would sort of stray and after the first couple of days they, they were saying oh you know it sound let, let, let's play you the uh the um the original again just so you can and after a while they just oh, forget it, <laughs> it was, <laughs> we, we just did what we did and that was a very interesting it took so long because of course in every video game there's all these choices that you make and every time you make a choice it takes you down a different path and then you have to do all the voices for that and um and then there'd be an actor who would come in and play another part and they'd be there for that whole day and we'd do their whole part in the video game and all their all the branches of their storyline and but what i remember really clearly um a i didn't know i was in a tube top i didn't know that (laughs) until later on but what I do remember is that they had um, three young guys from Japan over from Comcast and they were sitting, there were sort of two tiers of seats in this, the same building where we did um, X-Men, the same recording, uh, not the same studio, but different studio, but same building. And so they were, and you're like, you're in a fishbowl. They can see me, I can see them. And so there are three of them with their laptops and they had a translator with them. And then there was the voice director and the assistant and all these other people. And, uh, so when we got to, they called it damage. I don't know if they call it something else now. And it was the last three days. It was basically because they don't want you to ruin your voice while you're doing the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So the last three days were all about, you know, okay, now you're being, you ripped the arm off the zombie, but now it's ripped it back from you and it's beating you to death with it. And, you know, and that's, ah, and they do all of the sounds associated with varying deaths that you had and all these sort of fight sequences. And I suddenly became very aware that I was in front of three Japanese people and I didn't want to sound like I was doing, you know, hi, yeah, sort of bad martial arts sounds. So I was twisting myself in knots, trying to make sounds that didn't sound like that. Then they were kind of, and so finally I sort of gestured through the glass into the translator. I said, well, please, you tell me one by one, they went down through these three Japanese guys. So they could do the sounds that they heard in their head. And it was literally, hi-ya! Hi-ya! it was like the the most cliched martial art. I was like, okay. If that's what it, you want. It, it, yeah, it gave me license to do whatever, but I couldn't do it until they did it. So um, I do remember that very clearly. Will this ever end is what I kept thinking. And it's called damage because it'll damage your vocal cords, right? Exactly. Well, I guess it's damage to the characters, but in my mind, you're right. It was like I had no voice left by the end of three days. So, um, and they're smart to leave it to the end. Because... Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the. I think I did a couple of other video games when I was around the time I was doing X Men. Um, but that is the only kind of big video game I ever did. Yeah, I, I remember seeing you actually got a chance to voice Storm in a couple X Men video games. That's what I saw online. Oh, okay. I don't think there was a lot of dialogue in no, those No, I think games, it's the same though. thing, just a lot of damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I did see that years later, after X-Men, you did actually get to do something with Chris Potter, the voice of Gambit on The Good Witch. Oh, yeah, for years. Yeah. We, um, we did, they were Hallmark movies at first, and they were uh, for Halloween, around Halloween time. Not their Christmas movies, we were their Halloween movie. And uh, Chris Potter, we did seven of them, basically one a year. I think one year we skipped, and the next year we did two and back to back. But So essentially it was one movie a year for seven years. And uh, yeah, and then when we went to series after seven years, Chris couldn't do it because he was doing a series at West. So yeah, and I and I actually did a couple of episodes of Kung Fu, and he was doing Kung Fu as well. Oh wow, I love that and show ex- too. 
Oh yeah, that was a great show. I the first time I experienced some exceptionally bad behavior on the part of David Carradine. Yeah, really uh was he was like flat out he was flat out drunk, basically, I think. Yeah. And uh he actually my sister was in the editing room on that show at the time and I had been my character was lying in a hospital bed, I remember, in a coma, I must say. So I had my eyes closed huh. and I couldn't see anything. And as a, you know, to for the crew and as a joke, he leaned down and actually kissed me when I was huh. in the hospital bed. And I like popped up and went, what the, you know. Wow. And Charlotte, my sister, said to me later, why did you? She finally said, why? She'd just seen the footage. She said, why did you let him? I said, I didn't let him kiss me. I was unconscious. I had my eyes closed. Yeah. And then the second time I did it, it was a really interesting show. It was a special, I think it was a two-parter. They brought all these old Western guys back um like the virginian lovely guy and lee majors was supposed to come but then something happened um at the time and he couldn't but a whole bunch of them some iconic shows i can't remember them all now so they were all there all these old gunfighter actor types (laughs) so david carradine was on his best behavior and he was sober and he actually came up to me and apologized wow for his previous but he said i'm told that you did the show before and I apologize. I was uh, I I'm an alcoholic, and I apologize for um, not remembering. And f- huh. if I did anything that was, you know, I was like, oh well, that's thank you. No, I didn't want to relive it with him, but I said no. That was thank <laughs> you. I appreciate you apologizing. That's better than nothing. Um, yeah, and I I actually pulled up into Kung Fu when I was doing Forever Night, and I had my son. I um I, I after my son was born, I actually went and rented this. I bought it actually this huge trailer because uh, they wouldn't give me a trailer so I, I bought this huge trailer and a pickup truck that pulled it and you know you have the kind where you press a button and it ex- the living room expands and yep, it, like, yep. it was huge and so what I went to do I sold it again after I think I rented it to a few productions and sold it again but when I went to do Kung Fu I brought my trailer and they they plugged me in at the end of the line <laughs> and then blew the fuses all the way down the line because I just and David Carradine apparently was going around saying to people Whose trailer is that? Whose <laughs> giant trailer is that? But yeah, I can't remember. I think I had some scenes with Chris back then, but I know him very well from Goodwitch, and we actually have the same agent. So, oh, nice. Yeah, Chris, great guy. I had a fun time talking with him a couple of years ago. Yeah, I listened to his interview too. He's um, he's really good at these things. I think he's way better at them than I am. No, this is amazing. I've loved talking to you. Oh well, thanks. <laughs> Tell me about what you're working on these days. Oh, well, funny you should say that. So the Goodwitch series just got canceled about oh, a month ago. Wow. So we did seven seasons of that. So I, I'm, I'm not supposed to complain um, <laughs> because we did seven seasons. But I was really hoping it would go uh, one more season. Hallmark, you know, their other show, One Calls the Heart, I think is going into its ninth season. So I was really hoping we'd get a chance to, you know, close it off well for the fans, you know, end it on a... Because it was sort of ended abruptly, I thought we were that it looked like we were going again, and then mm-hmm. they uh, they canceled mm-hmm. it. So um, I'm kind of an out of work actor, but I have my uh, during the pandemic. I um, and this is you know sort of ironic because I I started the voice committee at Actor, and I would have all these workshops. There were a couple of workshops about you know how to set up your own home studio. Did I ever do it myself? No, but when the pandemic started. All of a sudden, the only voice work that was available was for actors uh, who had their own home setup. So went and got a mic and an interface and this big hoodie thing that looks like a cobra's hood, you know, yes, over my yes. mic. And, yep. Yeah, and got the whole thing <laughs> set up. So I've been doing cartoons in my bedroom for the past year and a half. Oh, that's and my awesome. son does them too, does commercial stuff as well. And um, 
yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, I'm in big trouble if the neighbor decides to mow his lawn. I so. know, I know. <laughs> I live in fear of that, like on, or garbage day. Oh, that's God. not. They'd say we want to. We want to record Friday morning. I was like, could we do it after eleven thirty? I know. Cause... See, my house. We're on the ambulance route to the hospital. Oh my God! Yeah. So every now and then you'll hear the start of the ambulance when I'm not talking, and then I just press the mute button on my mic so you don't hear it. But if I'm talking, I'm screwed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh because you know ambulances during COVID. I also I have it. You might. You might hear it even now. It, even yet, I have a, a 21-year-old cat that is stone deaf and just screams. Uh-huh. It doesn't even sound like a cat. So a lot of my auditions, my agent, my voice agent will come and go, I had to listen to it twice. What's that noise? And the man, that's one of the, the 21-year-old screaming. I was too lazy to redo it. So we're just going to keep it in. <laughs> yeah, our cat's been doing the same thing. But funny enough, it's it's our little cat that does that. He's only like a year old, but he will meow like he's a giant, humongous cat. Oh, yeah. and this isn't even a meow. I'm telling you, it's I can't do it because it'll blow your eardrums. But it's like, ah, oh. like it's a scream. It doesn't wow. sound like a cat at all, and it all night long. It's just I I have to sleep with earplugs because wow. um, yeah. So that's in the background of a lot of my auditions. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or my dog panting. That's the other thing. I have a very big dog, mm-hmm. and he um, he's you know in the background. Uh, <sighs> You can just hear it faintly in a lot of my auditions. It adds character, I guess, you know? Well, you know, maybe they'll think, yeah, I like that audition with the panting. Yeah, exactly. That really stood out to me, yeah. <laughs> All right, anything else coming up that you wanted to promote or talk about? Um, I don't know. The, I'm sort of in a few cartoons. I just have recurring roles in kind of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood that's been going on for years. Yes, okay. I think Abby Hatcher is, I don't. I think that might one might be, have played itself out but i'm also in a cartoon called daniel spellbound that for netflix but that hasn't that's not going to be released until 2022 i don't think and i do thomas the tank engine too and i again again i don't even think that's in the air so those are that's sort of stuff coming up but no i'm an out of work actor now i actually had to go and buy a tripod and a ring light to hold my iphone so i can you know do my own at home on camera auditions so it's a very weird world yeah is it is it kind of hard going back to that way of thinking of auditioning oh yeah definitely and i actually do better in the room i mean i hate getting dressed you dressed Uh dressed i mean everyone has to get dressed but i mean sort of dressed up a little bit and put on makeup i hate wearing makeup and you know going and driving to an audition but i'm good in the room i'm much better in the room when there are people in the room so to do it at home you know i end up making my son read with me and he's very good which i'm lucky about but Mm -hmm. I'll end up doing like 20 takes and he's like, come on, you know, but trying to decide. Um, actually, I have a funny story about him. He, uh, so when I was started doing cartoons, I was a bit embarrassed about doing cartoons, frankly. It was not something a lot of actors did. And mm-hmm. it was kind of the secretive world. And, and it was only when my son ended up going to uh, being old enough to go to school when he was in junior kindergarten that he was going around telling people, yeah, my mom's Jean Grey and my dad's Professor X. Mm-hmm. And, all of a sudden I was a hero and I had no idea, you know, and we, I remember we would go into, he developed this sort of shtick. We'd go into comic book stores when he was like seven, eight years old. And he loved, it happened the first time. Cause I think we went into a comic book store and uh, we were looking at X-Men comics and stuff. And he piped up and said to the clerk, you know, this young kid behind the counter, yeah, my mom was Jean Grey and my dad was Professor X. And I thought the poor guy was going to swallow his tongue. He, 
And then he ended up, I think, giving my son a free comic book or huh. something. So my son decided that this was great. <laughs> and every time we went into a comic book store, he would tell them and, you know, hoping, I guess, to get another free comic <laughs> book. And uh, so we shocked a lot of people. But that was um, that was always fun because otherwise you just kind of do it into a void and you don't really know. And yeah. it's only, you know, when you realize kids... Uh, it, it's fun, and now everybody wants to do cartoons. All yep. anybody says to me is, how do I get into voice work? Yeah, how no. do I get into cartoons? In closing, I got a little question for you. What superpower would you want to have if you had any power in the world? If I had any power in the world, I would make the coronavirus disappear. That's a good That's one. That's what I would do. That's a good one. Yeah, I don't think I want. I wouldn't want jeans. I don't really want to know what everyone's thinking. Oh God, I don't no. really care. I have. I'm coming to an age where I don't really care what everyone else is thinking, um, and uh, that would definitely not be my choice of superpower. Maybe flying, but definitely, um, yeah, definitely making the pandemic go away. That would be great. Yeah, and I, I would thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, I know. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do okay. my best. Try, Tim. all right. I want you to try. And, and <laughs> in give my me best call. superpower voice, I will try. Well, all right, Catherine. Thank you so much for your time. Big fan of your work. This has been a truly an honor. Well, thank you. It's been fun, and it's fun to talk about it. I uh, everyone should go out if they like it to go and buy the book because um, yes. Eric's book is uh, great. It really takes you through all of the machinations backstage and all that stuff. It's really kind of, it's fascinating to see what they went through to get this on the air. Exactly. Yeah. I've, I've, I've read little snippets of it, but I still haven't picked it up. I need to get that book. I know it's, it's cool. It sort of has, it feels like a hardback comic book, the cover of it. It's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. And, you know, thank you to anyone who, who's listening, who still watches the cartoon and loves it. We, we all love doing it and we're all incredibly grateful that we got to do it. And, uh, you know, I didn't know much about X-Men before the cartoon, but I certainly know way <laughs> more about... My, my son was so disappointed when the movies, you know, that was announced they were doing the movies, and he was like, you're going to be Jean Grey in the movies. Uh -huh. so I said, yeah, I don't think so, sweetie. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm strictly the, you know, the uh, the behind-the-scenes <laughs> Jean Grey. Oh, man. Did it ever ask you for a cameo or anything? Because I know George was in oh. it, and, you know, Chris auditioned for it. But do you think George was in it on purpose? I'll have to ask George I don't about know. that. Or maybe he just because he, you know, he. I think he was a trucker, right? He used to play a lot of those he kind was. Of parts. Yep. Because of the way he looks, and um, I'm not sure that they were smart enough to give him a cameo on purpose. I think maybe he just ended up there. I hear the di else? the director was a big fan of the animated series. That's what I heard. So it, oh yeah, I could have been because he wanted him there. But you would think more of you guys would have been in the in the movie if that was the case. Uh, yeah, who else was in it? You said somebody else was well, in it, too? Chris wanted to audition for the part of Cyclops. I think that's what he told me. Well, yeah, because Chris was sort of in the States and in mm -hmm. Canada at that yep. point. I've never um, I've never gone to the States. I've never tried to. I've worked on a lot of American shows up here, but I've never sort of made an effort to go down and uh, and be based in the States. But Chris was, so I'm not surprised that they would... Uh, um, yeah, he would have been a good choice for... Who did they have him audition for? For Gambit? No, Gambit wasn't no, in the movie. No, he wasn't movies, in the one. Um, Cyclops. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I can huh. I could see that. You know, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, and the hair. Yep, exactly. You know, the hair poking up over the mask. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, when I think about it, that, you know, Norm had great hair. Cyclops had great hair. Uh, Beast kind of, George kind of looked like Beast. Yep, yep. I, I mean, size-wise. 
I don't think I, you know, I didn't have red hair, but um, uh, so I don't think I was. And oh my God, Jean Grey. It's funny we did a we did a cartoon. I'll stop talking in a second. <laughs> you can keep going as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing after X Men. We did a we did a cartoon, and I think I think it was called Ultra Force. I don't even know if it was ever released, but we had sh- we had recorded, and there was a bunch of women. I, I remember being like an Amazon or something, some kind of warrior, Amazon warrior. And we recorded this whole season. And then at the end of it, they sent up these cutouts, like these human, two human sized cutouts of the characters. I think this, I don't think I dreamt this to, to do some sort of publicity shots or something. And we realized, or I realized that these characters were basically naked. They, they were just, they had like a <laughs> ribbon that wrapped around the top covering not very much and kind of that went into a G. I was horrified. We've been doing this whole season, not realizing no. that we were essentially naked. Uh, so it's these even, characters. even worse than Jill Valentine. Uh, oh yeah. No, the tube top looks conservative <laughs> compared to what this was. So uh, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't feel, you know, I don't, I don't think I could have fulfilled the on camera fantasy of what these people, <laughs> what they look like. Um, wow. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm strictly in the voice realm for them. Yeah. And to go back to X-Men, I did hear a rumor that they almost had David reprise his role as Magneto. David Hemblin. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's, on on the, in the movies. In the first movie, yeah. They, they, that was considered. I don't know if it was ever an audition or anything, but he was considered. Wow, he was great. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. He had a great voice. He and John Colicos, you know, they were uh, these all, and we had Don Franks in there. I mean, they, all these kind of old school voice guys who had amazing voices and, and theater backgrounds. That's another thing. A lot of us had theater backgrounds. We weren't just, you know, a bunch of pretty faced TV actors. We were, uh, there were a bunch of us. Uh, uh, Apart from Norm, <laughs> I'll say that I'll give him a dig, even though he's not here to fight back. Yeah. But, um, that you know, Norm was was a voice broadcast guy, and Cal was a, a musical theater guy, and but um, but Lenore did theater, I did theater, you know, Cedric did theater, David Hemblin, all those guys, John Colocos, they were all we were all theater people. Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. I would have. I mean, as much as I love the first X Men movie, you know, it's kind of cool to think that it could have been a little more tied in with animated series it's funny how everyone is is so um uh has such great feelings for the animated series and in some ways it almost seems more so that i mean i think the movies i don't know i don't big movies where there's nothing at stake where you know all the characters are going to survive and all these fight scenes and stuff it it sort of leaves me cold and um uh so i I can understand why people are so fond of the uh, of the first series, of the animated series. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I loved it and watched every episode. And speaking of comic books, when the uh, episode was done, my dad used to drive me to the comic book store and we'd pick up the uh, latest issue of X-Men. You're kidding. What yeah. a great tradition. Yeah. That's yeah. lovely. Every Saturday we would do that for at least the first year, first season of X-Men. Yeah. That's what we did. That's great. Do you still have them all? I have the majority of them, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where you sort of go, hmm, I wonder if the, that box with all the <laughs> is still around. Oh, no, it's I not. Like, it, it, I remember they sent us toys uh, somewhere in a box. I oh, have toys wow. and those. I do have the jackets and, and animation cells and a letter from Marvel sort of saying oh. thank you. Thank you for your services. Um, 
but uh, that's really cool that you you were able to connect the comic yep. books to the series and you had your own archive of them. That's that, I think that's very cool. Yeah. And what do you, what kind of cell did they give you? What do you remember what episode it was from? Uh, I don't. So it's just Gene, and I also have the uh, Professor X one too. I don't mm-hmm. think Cedric wanted his at one point. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and when I was growing up, I did not. I'm sorry, I didn't. I wish I had found X Men, but I was, you know, Archie, Archie comics, yeah, and yeah, Richie Rich, mostly Peanuts, you know, books oh, of sure. Peanuts comics and stuff. Um, so I, I wish I had found it because I would have found X Men really interesting back then when I was that age. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm, I am actually sorry I didn't. But my son got very into it, especially um, after the cartoon. And, you know, I don't think I was a big comic reader before X-Men, but I was more of a DC guy. I was a Superman and, and Batman oh, guy. I everybody was back then, I, oh, Of though, course, right? yeah, was... everybody, yeah. But I didn't really get involved with X-Men until the animated series came along. Now, sp- hold on, this is going to make me seem, this is an incredibly <laughs> stupid question, but it's okay because I'm a girl, so I'm allowed to ask this. But Spider-Man is Marvel, right? It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I knew Superman was DC and... Um, uh, Batman. Yeah, I mean, in the book, the Eric sort of talks about having to kind of uh, fight Stan Lee, who seemed to be trying to make all the wrong choices for the series. Like it was, it, it was. It's really fascinating, you know, huh. what uh, his sort of um, take on all that. Uh, you know, the 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 would be the the big honchos at Marvel and wow, uh, what what could have been if the studio got involved? Yeah, or more involved, you know, yeah, and they exactly. hadn't fought them off. And uh, so, you know, and really fought for what they wanted to do. Yeah, I need to get that book. You should have Eric on. That's what you should do. You should have Eric on, interview him, mention that you'd love a book. He'd probably send you one. He probably would. You're right. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Although you you should read it before you interview him. That's what I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> Rats. Okay. Yeah. Cart before the horse. Oh, right. well. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. But all right. Well, all right, Catherine. I don't want to keep you any longer. Seriously, thank well, you for your time. Thank you. And yeah, edit this and tighten it up because I, I didn't realize I've been blabbing for this Oh, long, God. So. You know, people like the blabbing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, norm- nobody else does. <laughs> Normally, I end with asking the person I'm talking to to close out the interview as their character. Are you willing to talk as Gene in, as, in some sort of way? I'll try, but again, I have to say, I worry that I do her I know, that's why when I just do her voice. Out that's of why nowhere. I wasn't going to ask you, <clears throat> and you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I'll try something, but it's it's not really Gene. I mean, I'd have to listen to it, and it's really just that last line that I remember. Well, the last line before she, you know, went up into uh, into space. Um, what was it? It was something like, um, "Oh, the light. Oh, Scott." beautiful if only you could see it i mean that's terrible so that's not really i can hear it though i can hear it i well i had i had occasion recently um for something to kind of listen to a few episodes on youtube and and i just sort of for an exercise saw that you know tried to see if i could voice match it Hmm. and bizarrely enough after all this time my voice has not you know dropped five octaves i can still do it (laughs) That's awesome. But that's what I mean. That was not a. That was not. That was not doing Gene Gray justice. Um, and I'm not going to do any orgasmic sounds after I watch that <laughs> and that compilation. So forget that. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, all right, Catherine. I had a great time. Hopefully, you did as well. I did. Thank you very much. And I really enjoyed listening to your other interviews as well. 
Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.